Well, tonight we've got baptism. <laughs> and uh, apparently we've been doing it wrong all these years. Um, so it's something about beating and waterboarding really kind of drives the message home, which hopefully will impact sort of the way y'all have been living post-baptism, I think. I'm not sure. Uh, but there's, uh, there's a great clip in there, or a great question in there, uh, where the pastor asks this question. He says, is there a sinner here looking for God? All right, so let me just ask the question. Is there a sinner here looking for God? Yes. Let me ask it again. Is there a sinner here looking for God? All right, so can you say it with me? I am a sinner. No, no, say, say it louder so, so everybody can hear you. All right, say it again. All right, now we need to pair up. I'm kidding. Um, why does that feel uncomfortable to say that? I mean, in, in church, you're, you're going to say that right? Just because everybody's doing it because you just watched the clip. But outside of church and outside of like this context, it's, it's a little bit more awkward to say. Like if I just asked one of you to stand up and asked you to say it, you'd been like, okay, I'm a sinner. Uh, I mean, what, what's going on here? Like it's just, it's, it's, it's just an uncomfortable moment to, 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 to say I am a sinner. It, in part because metaphorically, mentally, you're thinking you, you probably deserve to or could get slapped, you know, if somebody really were, you know, admonishing you if I was really admitting everything that you know makes me a, a sinner and you kind of think about what does it even mean to say I am a sinner uh, well if you go to like sort of the textbook definition of sin uh, it's this it's a it's a transgression of divine law and that just sounds almost too wordy in a sense I, I like this other one though that says a willful or deliberate destruction of God's purpose or creation a willful or deliberate destruction of God's purpose or his creation. I don't like to think of the things I do as a willful or deliberate destruction of God's creation uh, or his purpose. But when you think about the things that you do that are a sin and how they impact and affect those around you, when God created the world, he said it is good. And when sin entered in, what did it do to God's creation? It destroyed his creation. It sent everything into chaos. One of the reasons, there's, there's, there's a great quote from G.K. G.K. Chesterton years ago when people were arguing about what's wrong with the world and what the big problems are in the world. Maybe you've gotten into a debate somewhere when you look at everything going on around and, and the global crises and conflicts that are always out there and our political issues and whatnot. So there's this question about what's wrong with the world and G.K. Chesterton, I just stood up and answered, he said, I am. I am. I am what's wrong with the world. And that's the admonition that says, Sin is a willful destruction of God's purpose and his creation. And what is it that has destroyed his purpose and his creation in this world? Sin. And I am a sinner. And you want to know what has destroyed God's creation, what's wrong with the world? I am. I am what's wrong with the world. We don't like to think of what we do, though, as a willful destruction of God's creation, right? I mean, like when you did that, when you said that, when you thought that, you weren't thinking in your mind, oh, I just can't wait to destroy this. I mean, it's like, 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 you're not like a six-year-old who sees his brother build this Lego tower or a sandcastle, and you're like, oh, I can't wait to go destroy what my brother's created. No, you don't, you don't, you don't think of it in those terms. We're not thinking about the fact that I'm out destroying God's creation, uh, which is why when I, don't, when I think about the things that I do, I don't label them as sin in my mind. 
I, like when I go to pray at night, there's, you know, everybody has like their list of things. Like when you talk about making confession, if those of you who grew up in the Catholic Church, maybe you went and made confession. Those of you who grew up in other uh, denominations, maybe you, you've sat alone at night and you've gone to pray and said, I need to confess my sins before God. And if I confess my sins, he's faithful just to forgive them. Or the Lord's Prayer, uh, Father, forgive me for my trespasses. And if you were to try to list those out, uh, typically people, do you ever find, find that you go to like the same like three, four things? Most people have a list. It's about five things long or less. And so they'll, they'll admit uh, it's usually in the category of an addiction or an angry outburst or typically a lust. And you'll admit that. And that's your sin. That's part of your listing out. And, and then beyond that, you're kind of kind of at a loss, right? The problem with that is it almost leads you to think like, well, man, if I could just get these two or three things down, I'd be there. I'd have it. And, and the, 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 the issue is, is that most of the stuff that we do, we don't classify it as a sin. Rather, it, it was a mistake. It wasn't a sin. It was, it was just a mistake. Uh, it wasn't a willful destruction of God's creation and purposes. It wasn't a transgress against God's divine law. Nah, I just, I don't know, it was just a mistake. As a mistake, if you look at the definition of mistake, it, it seems to fall more in line with what it is that we did. It is an error in action or calculation or opinion or judgment it was caused, that's caused by poor reasoning or insufficient knowledge. Isn't that who we are? We make a lot of mistakes. How many of y'all make mistakes? How many of y'all make a lot of mistakes? Easy admission, right? You know, we all make mistakes. And, and when it's a mistake, we, we, we think or we say things like this. It was an accident. I didn't know any better. Uh, I, I just wasn't thinking at the time. I don't know what I was thinking. It was an impulsive decision. It was an impulse buy. Like, why did you get that? You know we're on a budget. Oh, I just, I wasn't thinking. It was just an impulse buy. It was a mistake. I'm sorry. It was a mistake. It was a mistake. I, I let the emotions get the best of me in the moment. I, I just reacted to what they said. Uh, I know I shouldn't have said it. I know I should have. It, I just, I, I, it was a mistake. I, I, I shouldn't have said it. I should have just, I should have just kept my mouth shut. That was my mistake for opening my mouth in the first place. I just messed up. I know I just wasn't paying attention at the time. That's, you know, that's why it happened. And the thing about mistakes is they fall into this very unique but convenient category for us mentally, right? When you make a mistake, sometimes you'll apologize for it, but the apology is really sort of a formality because there's an assumption of forgiveness already there, right? I mean, if somebody's not going to forgive a mistake, they're the one who has a problem, right? I mean, they're the one who has an issue. And if, and if they continue to talk about it like it's a real problem or a real issue, they're the one who has the issue. Because, I mean, everybody just sort of is, is assumptive that there's a mistake. That's why when you make a mistake, we, we, we either say or we think things kind of like, well, yeah, I, I know I need, to pay, I, need, I need to pay for my mistakes. I, I understand that I, I need to accept responsibility for them. If I broke it, I'm going to fix it. If, if I spilled it, I need to clean it up. If I made a mess, I'll do that. Uh, I need to repair whatever I broke. Uh, that's that's kind of my obligation. I know I need to do that, but it's assumptive that, that whatever I've done is just sort of naturally forgiven because we all forgive mistakes. Um, I mean, after all, some old person said somewhere in history to err is human, right? It's like when you make a mistake, what's that make you? Human. Yeah, I'm just human. I'm, yeah. And, and we, we even say things like that, you know, hey, okay, so I made a mistake. It's not the end of the world, right? Nobody's perfect. I mean, we all make mistakes, right? You know, I made a mistake. Okay, so, so, so what? So what? I mean, do I really need forgiveness for a mistake? No, it's, it's an assumptive forgiveness. I mean, it's just everybody forgives mistakes, and if somebody doesn't forgive a mistake, I don't even know why I need your forgiveness anyway, okay? It's my own thing. I just made a mistake, okay? It's, it's not a big deal. You forgive it or not, I don't care. That doesn't matter to me, you know? I just, 
It's my own thing. My remedy is not to seek your forgiveness. My remedy is to try harder next time, to do better next time, right? That's, that's my remedy. That's how we deal with mistakes. Now, the problem is, somewhere in that mind of yours, you know better, right? No matter what it was, you know better. You know it wasn't a mistake. Uh, it was a choice. It was a decision that you made. And you can kind of go back through it, and, and in some cases, it was thought out, and in some cases, it was planned out, and sometimes there are things that you fantasized about that you went and acted on, um, and you worked out how you were going to get away with it. Um, and really, the only real mistake was that I either miscalculated what I needed to do to get away with it or what your reaction would be. That's really kind of the only you know, place I messed up in. And that's why it was a decision, not a mistake. And the other thing about this is that there's this pesky little thing that sort of like annoys us in the back of our mind, and it doesn't really fit well with the concept of mistakes. It's, it's, that, it's that, oh, what is that? Like that, that nagging guilt thing, right? Like the guilt comes up, and, 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 and we don't really know what to do with it. And it just kind of keeps bothering us in the back of our mind. Some of us think it's, you know, it goes back to our childhood or to our parents or to maybe whatever church you grew up in. That's maybe where the guilt is. And pop psychology that really buys into the mistake idea they, they are always having these ideas of what we can do to deal with our guilt. And it's funny, I, I looked these up and I just thought it was interesting what pop psychology would have to say. So this is from a psychology website. Um, number one on the list is you need to forgive yourself. Once again, I don't need your forgiveness for a mistake that I made. It was my mistake. I just need to forgive myself. And why do I need to forgive myself? Because nobody's perfect. I can't put that kind of pressure on myself. I need to accept that everybody makes mistakes and I'm just like expecting too much of myself and I need to accept that I am human, everybody makes mistakes, and so I need to primarily forgive myself, and that's how I can get rid of my guilt. Um, or, you know, I need to quit trying, and part of this came out of this was also, I need to quit trying to think that I need to be perfect, right? I, I gotta quit trying to think I've got the standard I've gotta live up to as a perfect husband or the perfect wife or the perfect employee uh, to, to merit something. It, it's, it's not about that. Nobody can, can be perfect anyway. Uh, another uh, strategy for dealing with guilt was you just need to put it in the past, and move on. What's happened's happened, just move on. Uh, I remember one speaker I heard years ago, uh, his, his motto in life was Fido. Forget it and drive on. That's it. <laughs> but you hit somebody's dog. Forget it and drive on, man. <laughs> yeah, but you ruined that. Yeah, forget it and drive on. Yeah, but there's a wake of destruction in your path. You know, I can't be burdened by that guilt for my past mistakes. I just need to forget it and drive on and, and just ignore and kind of suppress out uh, that thing. I, I need to just commit to do better next time. That's what I need to do. You know, don't focus on the guilt for what you've done. You just need to look to the future and look what's ahead of you uh, and just commit to do better. And the next time, do something you know, better in that way. Um, uh, you need to focus, here's another one, was to focus on what you do well and the good things that you've done. Quit thinking about the bad things and the bad mistakes you've made you need to think about, look back on your past and focus on the good things you've done in your past. And then I saw one, and I read the explanation. I really couldn't understand it. And it said, uh, focus on gratitude. I don't know what that has to do with getting rid of guilt, but I guess you need to focus on gratitude. So pop psychology will tell you that's what you need to do to deal with the guilt. The problem with guilt, though, is it like nags at you, right? 
It's like one of those people who just doesn't go away. Like you try to tell them to be quiet and they just keep coming back. You try to tell them that just give me, just give me five minutes, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll deal with it, I'll deal with you later, but they just keep nagging. Or you say, hey listen, I've, I've dealt with it, I paid that off. And they just keep nagging. They keep, that's what guilt does. It just keeps nagging at you and nagging at you, nagging at you because the mistake idea just doesn't seem to satisfy what's going on with the guilt. So why is it that we fight an admission of sin and we want to put in a category of mistake even when the guilt is coming in sort of pushing this sin agenda? Well, if it's a mistake and I made a mistake, then that makes me human, right? But if it's a sin, it makes me a sinner. And to say that I'm a sinner, well, you know, that's a label, right? And labels kind of are sticky. They kind of stick to you. They, 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 it becomes like a part of your core identity. Uh, it's a part of who you are, uh, something that defines you. Uh, and identity isn't something you can just apologize for. It isn't something you can just kind of forget about and drive on. It isn't something that you can just repair and fix what was broken. Uh, it isn't something you can just kind of pay for to make up for the damage that was done. And identity is, is much deeper than that. It's, it's who you are, and it's really hard to change your identity because it's who you are. It's something that's hard to shake, and you know, if it's who you are, it's who you are. And so we don't like to say that it's, it's a part of my identity. Now, this isn't anything new, okay? This isn't pop psychology at Interdan. This isn't a new idea. This is something that's happened from the beginning of time. I mean, Adam and Eve, after all, they didn't sin, right? Like, I didn't sin. They did. I was just fine, God. You put her here. You guys figure out what you guys just did to me, because it wasn't me that did all of this stuff anyway, was eating it a mistake? Perhaps, right? But it wasn't really my fault, okay? So that's kind of where we've always gone. So when, when you get to the era where Jesus came into the world, uh, when he came on the scene, in Matthew 5, the, the longest recorded sermon that we have of Jesus, he begins talking about this issue of reclassification of what God calls a sin, of what is a, a destruction of God's creation and purpose, what is a transgression of his, of, of his law. In their day and time, what they had done is they'd sort of reclassified and watered a lot of things down. Uh, we would use mistake, sin, classification. I mean, there are some things that are still a sin, right? We, we all agree. Society pretty much agrees. We pass laws against these. We shame people who do them publicly or at least have the admission or get caught. We, we all agree these are sins. The rest of the most of the stuff falls in the category of mistake. And in Jesus' day and time, they had done the same thing. There was a group of Pharisees, and they had classified what was a sin and what wasn't, and they had done it in such a way that if you commit, if you had a full-time job of working on these things, you could do these things in the category. Most people couldn't, so then they felt a little superior about themselves because they were doing it and everybody else couldn't. But they had all these like, sort of lists with this. And so when Jesus comes in, he says to the people who've watered down the definition of sin, the Pharisees had kind of taken, well, it's here. God's, God's standard was here. They had watered it down to here. And Jesus comes in and he says, unless your righteousness, this is a Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, uh, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you have no place in a relationship with God. Come again? So I thought they were like, they were, they were doing it. They were like living perfect. And you're telling me that I have to be better than they are? And he breaks it down like this. He says, well, you've heard it said long ago, you shouldn't murder. I mean, everybody agrees murder is a sin, right? I mean, I think every, everybody agrees murder is sin. He says, well, 
Uh, and anybody who murders should be subject to judgment. We can all agree on that. He says, but I tell you this. This is where he raises the standard of what we think of as sin. And, and where, where he's taking what you think is a mistake or what you think is just something that, you know, a thought that went in your mind. He says, I'm going to raise the standard. He says this. He says, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister is subject to that same judgment. He says, again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, which is like you blockhead or you idiot, um, is answerable to the court. In other words, that's just as bad as, as murder. It says, anyone who says, you fool, shall be in danger of the fire of hell. So, ever been angry with somebody? You ever wish you just didn't have to deal with somebody? You ever wish you didn't have to be around somebody, work with somebody, live with somebody, be married to somebody, uh, have to raise somebody? You ever had those moments where you just were kind of sick of them and just wish that they weren't in your life? Jesus is like, yeah, that's, 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 that's murder. Okay, so say it with me. I am a murderer. Oh, <laughs> see? You see, you were willing to play along because you were in church, and I said, say, I am a sinner. Because after all, that's still sort of a generic thing. And if I were to say that I wasn't a sinner, I mean, come on, I know I have sin. I'm not really sure what I've done to sin, but I'm sure that I have. I did have that one bad thought. I did have that one thing back in college, but that's not a big deal. Okay, come on, I've moved on. I, I, so I classify as that. But come on, man. Murder? Really? Once again, have you ever wished you didn't have to deal with somebody, be around somebody, be married to somebody, live with somebody, raise somebody? Have you ever just wished that somebody did not exist? Yeah. <laughs> I have one. Jesus says, that's murder. That's the same place as murder. Because if you were the all-powerful in that moment, and there was no social stigma against it, if you were a god unto yourself and you could create the world, universe, and order as it would, what you've just said is, I would take you out. Right? Like, you've said to your kids, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. <laughs> but you know you can't. Right? You know you can't. But in that moment, right, if you were the god of your own universe where you made up all of the rules and there was no social stigma against it, there are people you would take out. That's part of the reason I'll tell you why, there are some video games I love. <laughs> right? You just take people out. Just innocent bystanders. He's in my way. He looks funny. He looks goofy. Boom. Blow him away. And there's just something about that that you enjoy. So let's just say it one more time. I am a murderer. Okay, let's say it loud. Like, like, like really, you've seen the video where this goes if we don't. I'm a murderer. Yeah, we all are. But he didn't stop there. He starts meddling. You've heard it so it was said, you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, anybody who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I ain't going to ask. Let's just go ahead and say it. I'm an adulterer. <laughs> really? Really? Oh, no, no. I'm just saying it because the preacher said, honey. I know. You mean to tell me that the number one rule in advertising is sex sells and it has no impact on you because you're not an adulterer? You don't look at a woman and go, hmm, I wonder what she's selling. You don't think that, really? <laughs> You've never 
you don't have a different opinion of a comment that a good-looking guy makes versus a non-good-looking guy makes? One of y'all posted on a meme that had this, you know, what I would assume is a good-looking guy. <laughs> Got to make sure my sound bites don't, don't get me in trouble. Say, hey, Janice, you're looking good today. She says, thank you. And it says, compliment. And then it has this guy who looks more like the rest of us in the room say, hey, Janice, you're looking good today. And it says, sexual harassment. <laughs> right? Was that you? Was that you? I don't know. Y'all over there talking like it was y'all. I don't know. I don't know. It's happened to you? It's happened to you? Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. So, so let's say it one more time. I'm an adulterer. Yeah, yeah. Because I've had those thoughts, right? Now, those thoughts are never something that you've ever in confession said, oh, Lord, I was looking at that hand soap today because the beauty of that model and I lusted in my heart as I looked at... We don't think that, right? We don't even classify that as a mistake. Our society has gotten most of the stuff that we, we went from sin to it's a mistake to a lot of the stuff that we thought was a mistake. We don't even classify it as that anymore. And so God is raising the bar as to what this is. Now, part of the reason why we do that is because we are hardwired to sort of create this perfect impression of ourselves within our mind. So we are hardwired to deceive ourselves as to the faults that we have. Uh, over in 1 John, he says it this way, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And of course, we always tag that with, well, I'm not claiming I'm without sin, okay? I've done some. He, we read that as, if we claim that we have never sinned ever in our life, then we are without, you know, then, then, then we deceive ourselves. If you're claiming or thinking in your mind that something that is not a sin, or sorry, sorry if you're claiming you're thinking in your mind that something that is a sin, if you're classifying your mind as a mistake or as no big deal, you deceive yourself. And the truth is not in you. And that's all of us. Every one of us does that routinely. Now, Jesus also tells several stories about this. I wish I could go through all of them. Uh, I'm just going to give you some highlights of them. And then, uh, the, the parable of the prodigal son over in Luke chapter 15 tells this story. Uh, there's a young man who's clearly self-deceived. He says, Dad, I want all my money. I really don't need you anymore. I can do things better myself. And so he leaves and he runs off and starts living his, what he thought was his best life and it doesn't end as well as he thought it would end. And he gets to the point, and the, the, the pivot moment of the story uh, is down in verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses. That's the moment where the self-deception ended. He came to his senses. He saw himself as he really is. He saw his actions for what they really were. He saw the things that he thought were a mistake or a good time or I know better. He now saw them for what they were. I was destroying God's creation. And part of what God has created is me. I destroyed myself in the process. I hurt a lot of other people. I destroyed my family. I destroyed my relationships. I destroyed God's creation and his purposes. Everything he wanted from me and everything he wanted his world to be, my decisions led to the destruction of that, which is why he says, I have sinned. God, I have sinned against heaven and against you. There it is. I, I have sinned. He gets to the point where he says, I am a sinner. And when he goes back to see his dad, it's the first thing he says. He says, Dad, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I have I have." destroyed God's creation and his purpose, and I've destroyed our relationship. I have sinned. And he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I recognize my true identity is that I am a sinner. 
And see, we have a hard time accepting that as part of our identity. I'm human, I make mistakes, but our true core identity is I'm a sinner. See, the thing about it being a sinner is when the self-deception ends, you realize that how do you change your identity? Isn't that hard? I mean, we often say, like, you are who you are, right? How do you change the fact that you're a sinner? Well, see, that's where the scriptures point to if it was a mistake, you just need to try harder next time. But if you're a sinner, you need a new life. You, you, need, you need to be saved. Because that which is a sinner is going to ultimately get destroyed. Because you're part of destroying everything in God's creation. And God says, I can't, I can't deal with that for all eternity. And, and, and I'm not going to live for all eternity with those who are going to destroy everything that I'm making for all eternity. So what you realize is, is I have no place with God for all eternity. What I desperately need is a savior. I need to be saved. And so the message of the gospel is simply this, that Jesus did live out that perfect life. When he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, he could have easily said, and mine will, and mine has, and mine did. And what Jesus, in a sense, does is he basically takes his sinless perfection and he goes to God and he says, God, I will die in their place for their sin and give them what I've earned by my sinless perfection. And he exchanges his identity with yours. The rightful true son who has earned a spot with God forever, he exchanges his identity with yours. And when he went to the cross, it says this, that he who knew no sin became sin for us. On the cross, he became our sin. And at that moment, it's where he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was a separation there. He took the separation from God that was a result of our sin and our place. Why? So that you forever could have a new identity as a child of God, as one who is saved. So say that with me, I am saved. No, sorry, I should have. If you have made that decision, and if you have come to that place at admission, then you can now say, I am saved. And if that's you, say it with me, I am safe. And because you are saved, you are now a child of God. I'm his child forever. So say it with me, I'm a child of God. You can't get to the place where you say, I am saved and I am a child of God unless you first begin with the admonition, I am a sinner. And the reason why many people have a hard time having a loving relationship with Jesus Christ that will last for all eternity is because they don't necessarily see the need for God. Forgiveness should just be assumptive. God should forgive me. I mean, it's a mistake. It's assumptive. It wasn't a mistake. It was a sin. And when you reclassify it as a sin that it really is and that you're far worse than you ever wanted to give yourself credit for, it moves you to the place where you think to yourself, I'm unlovable. I'm unworthy. What does the son say when he comes back to the father's house? He says, I'm unworthy of any longer being called your son. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And we, we don't like the idea that we're not worthy because now God's not going to love me for what I've done. Isn't that why you don't tell people what you've done? You're afraid they're going to reject you? So we're afraid to tell God who we truly are. I'm a sinner because we're afraid that means God's going to reject us. I, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But in the story Jesus tells, what happens with the son? What happens with the father? He says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. 
put a ring on his finger, symbolic of him being in the family, and put sandals on his feet. He's not a servant. And bring the fattened calf and let's kill it, for let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost. He was a sinner. But now he's found. He's been saved. So they began to celebrate. Tonight out at the beach, what we're going to be going down there to celebrate is a bunch of sinners who've been saved by grace and are celebrating this very thing, that they're, the, they're a child of God. Uh, they kill the fatted calf, and they celebrate, and they party, and that's why whenever we do baptism, as you notice, we always have a celebration. And it's a picture of this right here, of what's going on in heaven we want to mimic here on earth. Let it be on earth as it is in heaven with Jesus' prayer. Let us celebrate the way God celebrates when someone who goes where their only identity was that of I am a sinner to one who can now identify and say, and I am saved, and I am a child of God. If that's been your pro- progression in life, if you've gone from I am a sinner to I am saved, I'm a child of God, you need to get baptized. That's where you let the world know this is what's happened in my life. This is who my new identity is. This is a picture of, of who you are. Uh, when you join a group or join an organization, oftentimes you put something on on the exterior that shows where your allegiance is and where your loyalty is. Uh, whether that be a club, organization, or a job, you put on something outwardly to let everybody know who you are now. This is my identity now. I am. And you give out your identity, often signified by what you are, what you do. Baptism is an outward sign of where your identity truly is. Your eternal identity is not that I am a sinner. It's that I'm a child of God, saved by Jesus Christ. And that's what baptism is here to signify. We join me as we close our time out in prayer. Father, may when we come before you, Lord, help us see ourselves as we truly are. Father, allow that moment to frighten us, to scare us. Father, may we come to a point where we come to our senses, if not daily, then as a regular season of life, Father, just to come to our senses and really truly confess, Father, who we are before you. Father, these aren't mistakes. It's not just because I'm human. It's because I'm a sinner. And Father, here's my sins. And just begin to list them out and share them out, Father, to the point where we would get to the point where we would wonder how on earth it is you could even love us in light of who we truly are. Let us get to the point, Father, where as your scripture says, where we weep and mourn over our sin. Humble ourselves in this as to who we truly are. Father, we might feel the overwhelming amazingness of your grace. For it's not until we see ourselves as we truly are that we're truly amazed by your grace and by your love. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.